God bless you. God bless you. We're glad. Again, we're delighted you're here. I have a good word for you. I don't believe it's a long word, but it's a good word, and it's going to bless you. We're going to build on the word that we uh, began. God uh, allowed me to minister on, uh, on Father's Day. Shout to your headstone. Amen. And uh, so that's an interesting title. Well, we'll tell you more about it in just a moment. Amen. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Zechariah, the fourth chapter. Our teens are going to be in with us today. We've got a good part of the message. We'll bless them, I'm sure. Amen. Hallelujah. Zechariah, when you've got it, would you rise with me? And would you stand in honor of the Lord if that you would like to do that? You can honor him either way, sitting or standing, but we like to honor the author of this book. Amen. He is the one to be honored this morning, is he not? And it's good to honor one another too, the Lord says, for that which is done and that which people do. So we do give honor where honor is due. Amen. And it is surely due the Lord, is it not? This is my second message since coming back from uh, some heart trouble. And I thank God for the strength and the blessing. Thank God for Dr. Culberson and First Lady uh, your first lady and our co-pastor, my wife, Pastor May, have uh, been preaching probably for a couple months now, and they will be preaching in the uh, ahead too. I'm still on on reduced uh, uh, activity as they're building up this heart, and uh, we have come a long ways because of your prayers, Amen, and uh, the anointing of oil, and uh, God has been uh, gracious to me to uh, uh, just be healing me and helping me. I'm. Uh, I'm on the way back, amen? I will get back all the way, and I thank God for you letting me kind of do half duty here, Uh, but I'll give you a full half. How's that? Amen, amen, praise God. All right, Zechariah, the fourth chapter. This really, I believe, is in in these verses, verse uh, 6, verse 1. I'm going to read verse 1 through 7. I just read verse 6 through uh, 6 and 7 last time, but 6 and 7 really tell us what God is doing. If you want to know what God is doing, at least this the part God has showed me, and it has been very encouraging in the midst of a time that you could be much discouraged with what's going on in our world. I may know God is God, and He'll always be God, and He is moving in this world. It is not the devil that is to have any glory. God is doing great things. And we'll talk about them this morning as we live in the midst of some not-so-great things. It's good to be reminded that God is still God. Amen. And He's still on the throne. I mean, no, He hasn't fallen off. No. He's not about to. Hallelujah. Yeah. And so uh, I thank God, and I believe you will too, as we agree together. Let's start in verse 1. It's the prophet Zechariah. God is giving him a message for Zerubbabel, the governor of of Judah, but let's follow along, King James and Living Bible. I'll be interspersing, and I hope I don't lose you and just stay with me. Uh, I believe you'll be able to do that. And the angel that talked with me came again and waked me as a man that is wakened out of his sleep, and said unto me, What seest thou? And I said, I have looked, and behold, a candlestick of gold, and a bowl upon the top of it, and his seven lamps thereon, and seven pipes to the seven lamps which are upon the top thereof. And Two olive trees by it, one upon the right side of the bowl, and the other upon the left side of the bowl. And he talks in the verse says he says on one on 
east side of the reservoir. How many know this speaks of the oil, the anointing oil? Somebody say the anointing. What is the anointing? It is the presence of God. You get the anointing, it breaks, it destroys the yoke. Let me talk to you about the anointing. We use little terms in the church. Nobody knows what we're talking about. We've got a little churchese. Amen? The anointing is the presence of God. The Bible says wherever the presence of God is, he's here this morning. There are good things that happen in his presence. There's fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. God's presence will always leave you better with it than without it. It would be better than my presence. It would be better than anybody else's presence. Thank God for their presence. But thank God for the presence of the Lord. Thank God for the anointing of the Lord that destroys the yoke that the enemy tries to put on and does and lifts the heavy burden, the Bible says. I may know you're not to carry a heavy burden. Any heavy burdens that come on you belong to the Lord. You need to cast them on the Lord. God, Jesus said, my yoke is easy. You're not to have a heavy yoke rubbing your neck and pulling you down and pushing you down. You're not to have a heavy burden weighing you down. His yoke is easy and my burden is light. Take my light burden and give me your heavy burden. And I will give you peace that passes understanding. Thank God for the anointing. Somebody shout, thank God for the anointing. Without the anointing, we might as well go home. I've been in many services that are dull and dead. And the preacher looked like the undertaker. You know the story. And the deacons looked like the pallbearers. And the congregation, well, they didn't look much better. But how could you blame them when they had that? Anybody ever been in a church like that? God help them. I'm not being critical. I'm just telling you. How many know I don't have any time for that? Amen. We're not going to a funeral. We're going to a wedding. I said, we're going to a wedding. Hallelujah. Woo. The wedding supper is ahead of us with the Lamb of God. And it's going to be a great time. Praise God. Okay, I got happy there. Uh, stay with me, okay? I don't see how you could with me getting that happy uh, about the anointing. Amen. Thank God. So I answered and spake, verse 4, to the angel that talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? And the angel that talked with me answered and said unto me, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. And then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might and not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. This is God's message, living Bible, to Zerubbabel, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty, you will succeed because of my spirit. Though you are few and weak, you will succeed. Hallelujah. Touch the one next to you or look at them and say, you will succeed. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. You will succeed. He knows there's things against you, but you will succeed. He knows there's people that think this and that. Some are for you, some are not for you. Some think you should, some think you shouldn't. But God says, don't worry about might or power. You're not going to have to worry about trying to do this yourself. It is being done by my spirit, says the Lord. And you will succeed in this. Failure may be evident, may look like no other way, but I'm telling you, God uses failure and always turns it into success. Failure is only stepping stones to success. So don't stop there. Amen. 
And so he says, you will succeed though you are few and weak. Amen. Though we are weak, the Bible says he is strong. Amen. Therefore, no mountain, verse 7. Or who art thou, O great mountain, however high can stand before Zerubbabel? Have you got any mountains? For it will flatten out before him. It will become a plain as Zerubbabel will finish building this temple. Or he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying grace, grace unto it. Or with mighty shouts of thanksgiving for God's mercy, declaring that all was done by grace alone. Hallelujah. Thank God for the grace of God. God is grace is greater than all of our sin. It's greater than anything the enemy is doing. The grace of God is working in the rebuilding and the restoration of your temple. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. We will talk about that and how special you are. And he says, shout to that headstone. Shout to that castle. He says, shout to what I'm doing. I am doing the building. I am building this. You are my temple. And I am restoring, rebuilding, recovering what needs to be recovered, what needs to be rebuilt. And how many know life can tear it down? Situations can tear it down. A lot of things can happen. But God, God says, be encouraged. What you are seeing today is a rebuilding and a restoration of the temple. And I believe God showed me is not only doing the temple, but in that process he is rebuilding and restoring the nation. Somebody shout, God bless America. And America bless God. Yes. God has blessed America. Now America needs to bless God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So God is doing a great work. I may know the book of Revelation is all about God restoring Back to Jesus Christ, everything that needs to be restored. That's what it's all about. God is in a restoration. The end times are none other than times of restoration and rebuilding, bringing back the way God made it in the beginning. Aren't you glad we're part of a great restoration? And he's able to do that because nothing's impossible for God. Nothing's too hard for him, he says. And he's able to do that whether it is you, your life, Whatever your relationships are, your finances, your health, God is a God that is a restorer, and he wants you to know that he is doing a great work in your building, no matter how tore down it may have become. And life can tear it down. Just live a little while if you don't know what I'm talking about. Amen. Let's have a word of prayer. I believe God wants to bless us this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for the great restoration. Thank you for each one to hear how you said shout how beautiful it is. And God bless it. And I do that now as we shout grace, double grace to every temple, every building, every life. How beautiful your life is. Oh, you may not have some beautiful things happening and have happened, but God's beautiful work is being done in you. Amen. And God said to shout the Lord bless it. God bless it. Lord, we start the service with this ministry, this preaching time, just saying God bless them. Even while they're sitting here now, God bless it and bless the restoration and the recovery and the rebuilding. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen. You may be seated. God bless you. Somebody ought to give the Lord a hand of praise. Amen. Hallelujah. How many has anything that needs to be rebuilt? Anybody's had anything that's tore up, tore down, 
Maybe you tore it. <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't matter. Huh? Amen. God is doing the work, and it's not by your might or power. And so we saw in the first message to Zerubbabel, we saw God of Judah who was given the responsibility of rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem. And I must tell you that you have a choice, and I have a choice. We all have a choice today whether or not we will cooperate with God in the rebuilding and the restoration of these temples. The Bible says we are the temples of the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at that in just a moment. Temples that have been broken down with broken down walls. We all have had or have been because of sin and living in a fallen world with fallen creatures. How many know a creature or two? Somebody said, I got a whole house full of creatures. Amen. Creatures and critters. How many know that's a good title for the next message? Well, I've got good news for you this morning. God sent me to tell you that he's a God of restoration and that he is restoring everything, shout everything, not just you and me, but our families, our finances, our health, our nation, our world, back to his original plan and purpose. I may know God had an original plan and purpose for you, no matter where you've gone, where you've been, what you've done, what they've done to you. God has an original plan and purpose, and he is the only one big enough to be able to restore you after all the water that is under the bridge to bring you back into his perfect plan and purpose and restore you back to his original purpose and plan for your life. God is able to do that and is doing that. Amen. Now, he won't do it like I think it should be done. He didn't really ask me about that. Amen. He said, what, you, what, what do you think about it, sister? I, he didn't ask me what I thought about it. He said, I don't really care what you think about it. I'm doing it. I don't need your two cents. I don't need your input. I really don't even need what your comment. Amen. Matter of fact, you comment too much on it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so God wants you to know that he's, we are in a time of restoration. I believe our nation is a time, and we need to continue to pray. I put little things in the bulletin a uh, few weeks ago that said it's time to pray. And on the back of that was a prayer from Kenneth Copeland for what's coming up and those that God would have us to lead us and praying that prayer. If you don't have one, there's some out in the lobby on the table. It would be a good prayer for us to begin to pray, would it not? Everything by prayer, the Bible says. Amen. And so we, I hope you're praying about our nation and, and that God, God gave me a word about how to pray. It was a simple word. He said, pray that they will have wisdom. Wisdom. Wisdom is how a house is built. God, give them godly wisdom. I know there, I may know there's two kinds of wisdom. There's the earthly wisdom, there's human wisdom, and there's godly wisdom. The wisdom of this world is sensual, it's devilish, it's not good. The wisdom of God is first pure, peaceable, gentle, full of good fruits, impartial. That's the wisdom of God. How many know we need the wisdom of God? My favorite football team, the coach, needs the wisdom of God. All right, I won't get on that. How many of you armchair quarterbacks know when your coach has wisdom and when he doesn't? And you're yelling at the TV trying to give him a little wisdom. Amen. All right. I better leave that alone. The women kind of looked at me funny right there. Amen. Although some do are into it. God is doing it. That's what the end of the age, the end times are all about. God restoring everything back to his son, Jesus Christ. So don't be too alarmed. I know this is an alarming time, but don't be uh, fretting. Amen. And fretting about what God told me. Fret not, the Bible says. 
Don't fret about what's going on. It's hard not to fret about it, if you, but if you know what's going on, then you understand that regardless of what you see, good or bad, the end of it will be a restoration back to Jesus Christ, amen, of how things should have been and should be. Glory to God. That makes me feel good about my own life. That makes me feel good about my own family. That makes me feel good about God's church. No matter what comes, what goes, ups or downs, God is rebuilding and restoring, and the end of it will be better than the beginning thereof. However it goes. I may know sometimes things don't go the way that you would like them to go. They don't go the way that you're believing them or having faith to believe. People have free will, and they will do. God will give them, gave them that free will, and they will make their own choices and their own decisions. You can pray, and God will help them, and he will work, and he will wait. I mean, no, God is very patient. He will wait for them. He will work with them. And if we will be patient and let God work and not take things into our own hands, except as God leads us and directs us, then God will have his way, yay or nay. However it goes, God told me it will be better than before. You've heard it before, better than before. It's either better with you or better without you. I'd rather have it better with you. But if you want to continue to act crazy and act a fool, will you get to a point where God says, okay, that's it. He says, that's it for that. You're free. Move on. I've got better for you. You can't lose. It'll be better than before, with it or without it, one way or the other. I'm a God of restoration. I'll take the ears, the canker with the meat, and the palm of worm, the caterpillar. Hallelujah, and I'll restore it back to you. I'll give you back double for your trouble. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Just got to just, just be patient. I know that's hard. Somebody said, I can do anything but be patient. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. Well, there's nothing too hard, as I said, for God. God said there's nothing too hard for him, nothing impossible for God. Amen. But how many know we're looking at a time of impossibility? We are looking at an impossible world and what's going on. And if we don't know our God and we don't remember that nothing's too hard for him, then we can become discouraged and we can become very fretful. But I, I, I tell you, this is a jubilee year. It's a double jubilee year. And he doesn't want you to miss it. The restoration. Amen. The canceling of debts. Leviticus 25 will tell you about the year of jubilee. Somebody say Leviticus 25. I don't have time to go into it this morning, but that's where you can find the year of Jubilee, and it will bless you. Amen. And so this morning, the Holy Spirit wants us to focus in on the special rebuilding that he's doing, and that's you. Tell somebody next to you he's talking about you. There he goes again. I want to look at this temple just for a moment. Would you, would you go with me to 1 Corinthians, the third chapter? You are the temple. You are the building. You are the special habitation of God. First Corinthians, the third chapter, the 16th verse. Stay with me. We're going somewhere. When you've got it, say, I've got it. And then we'll look again in Second Corinthians, the sixth chapter. But just First Corinthians, the third chapter. I believe the Holy Spirit wants us to set the, set the foundation here. You got it? Hallelujah. The third chapter, the 16th through the 21st verse. Some, most of you know you've heard it. 
It says, Know you not, know you not that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Living Bible says, Don't you realize that all of you together are the house of God and that the Spirit of God lives among you in his house? Whose house is it? His house. It's not your house, not my house. It's his house. If anyone defiles and spoils God's home, God will destroy him. Now, that's, that's pretty tough. Huh? Don't be tearing up your home. <laughs> Amen. If he says God will destroy him. For God's home is holy and clean, and you are that home. So verse 18 says, stop fooling yourselves. If you count yourself above average in intelligence, we all do that, don't we here? We're above average. Amen? Look at somebody next to you and say, you look above average. If I don't open my mouth, you'll never know. Amen? If you count yourself above average in intelligence, verse 18, as judged by this world's standards, you had better put all this aside and be a fool rather than let it hold you back from the true wisdom from above. The wisdom of this world, again, is foolish. It's devilish. It's sensual. Nothing wrong with sensuality in the right framework, in the right place. But the wisdom of this world is definitely not the wisdom of God. I told you the wisdom of God is gentle, peaceable, easy to be entreated, impartial, unselfish. He says, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God, verse 19. And it's, as it says in the book of Job, God uses man's own brilliance to trap him. He stumbles over his own wisdom and falls. He thinks he knows it all. Amen. And again, verse 20, in the book of Psalms, we are told that the Lord knows full well how the human mind reasons. Come on. And how foolish and futile it is. I may have ever heard somebody say, well, I have needs, and the Lord knows my heart. Yes, he knows all that. And he also knows what you're doing, and not right. And you trying to cop out with your little God knows. How many glad you came this morning? I just love it. I just love it. Just love it. I just love it. Yeah. He knows full well how the human mind reasons and how foolish and futile it is. And so don't be proud of following the wise men of this world, for God has already given you everything you need. Whew. Hallelujah. He says, God has already given you everything. No, no, I need this. I need that. I need that. No. God says, I've already given you everything you need for life and happiness. Godliness. I've already given it to you. You just don't know you have it. And so you're always looking for something else. But when you find him, how many know when you find him, you have found what your soul is looking for. You have found what your spirit is looking for. The frustration comes in our lives is when we are doing a lot of good things, working hard, but we are not fulfilling the purpose for which God put us here, and the result of that is inner frustration. Yes, you're good at what you do, but you're frustrated because your spirit knows this is not what God called me to do. This is only a part of it, a part of what God wants, but I'm stuck in this with the wisdom of this world. It says that's all you need. How many people come in that, live their whole life with that, and at the end of their life come to find out, man, I gave everything to the company store, <laughs> and the company store pulled the rug out from under me. 
Give the man what is due him, but give God glory and give God honor. Give God what belongs to him. Whew, hallelujah. God says three things belong to him. Your time, your talent, and your treasury. Am I giving him the time? Or am I giving everybody else the time? I don't even have time for me. Everybody else wants, but I understand that. But somewhere we got to find time to give God some time. It's when you get with him and you talk with him that God says, you don't have to worry about the rest if you'll get with me. I'll take care of the rest. And you'll come into a rest that you will never come, though you're trying to find it. It's in me. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. All right. That's pretty, pretty strong. Amen. Just one more here. Uh, I'm making say, praise God, there's only one more. Second Corinthians, the sixth chapter. He continues in this line. We are, we are setting the stage. We are determining what God says who you are. Who you are. You are not what you do. You are who God says you are. Huh? We get caught up in the world's wisdom that they say you are what you do. And if you're not doing, then you don't feel too good about yourself. Second Corinthians 6 chapter, quickly, the 11th verse. And again, this is a familiar scripture in verse 14. But he begins like this because he's talking to the Corinthians, the apostle. Paul. He says, oh, my dear Corinthian friends. Oh, my dear glad tidings, brothers and sisters. I have told you all my feelings. I love you with all my heart. Verse 12, any coldness still between us is not because of any lack of love on my part, but because your love is too small and does not reach out to me and draw me in. Verse 13, I am talking to you now as if you truly were my very own children. Open your hearts to us and return our love. Return our love. Return our love. How many know that is one of the biggest problems in the church of Jesus Christ? It was one of the biggest problems when Jesus walked the earth, when he fed the 5,000, and he said many were following him, but he says, you're following me because of what you can get from me. You're following me because I fed you. You're not following me because you want me. You follow me because you want what I have. That makes me feel used. That makes me feel abused. When all you want is what I have, when all you want is to look at my hand, and not my face. And Jesus finally came to a point where he told them, he said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. That sounds like cannibalism to me. And he said, we're not to do that. But he was talking about something greater. He said, talked about the communion. He talked about taking Christ into our lives. Taking him in, not just kind of on the outside. And what Jesus, I believe, was saying there, he was telling them, he said, he said it's time it's time for you to love me the way I love you. I've been doing all the loving. How many of you ever been in a situation where you're doing all the loving and they're doing all the taking? Come on. That will come to a screeching halt at some point. Amen. Because it's taken and given. But Jesus said, now you've got to, I want you to reciprocate. And the Bible says many of his disciples left him at that time. And then Jesus turns to his 12 and he says, you want to go too, boys? You just here for what you can get to? Or are you going to love me back? Hallelujah. There's nothing like being in a loveless relationship where you're doing all the loving and they're doing all the taking. 
the abuse of that, the injustice of that, stifling, unacceptable. Hmm. I better leave that alone. Hallelujah. I know you all have good relationships and just, just having the time of your life. Amen. Yeah, somebody choked there. And then he says in verse 14, he says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. We've heard that. I heard that since I was a kid. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? In other words, Living Bible says, don't be teamed up with those who do not love the Lord. For what do the people of God have in common with the people of sin? What do you have in common with them? They're on the road to destruction. They're on the road to hell. You're on the road to heaven. If you're not careful, they'll pull you down on their road. Bad company leads to bad manners. And you think, oh, well, I can bring them this way. How many have thought that and got pulled under? Many, many will get married at times and say, well, I know how he is, but I can change him. How's that working for you? That's about as easy as straightening a dog's hind leg or taking spots off a leopard, the Bible says. Only God can change. And if what you don't like when you see it, don't go past it. Deal with it. Woo. Oh, that's for somebody. I don't know who that's for. But God will bless you and help you with it. Amen. So he says, don't be unequally yoked together. He says, for what? What do you have in common with people of sin? How can light live with darkness? And what harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? Hey, how can a Christian be a partner with one who doesn't believe? And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? The idols of this world. There are many. There are sports idols. There's idols of gods, of money, and all kinds. America's got more idols than Israel had. we got more idols than India has. Some of our idols are us. We are the idol. We serve us. We serve not the living God. We serve us. Jesus. And some serve the church and serve the... It's good to serve in God's house, but that is not to be your idol. God is God. The pastor is not your idol. It don't matter nothing if you know the pastor. If you don't know Jesus, you can shake my hand all day. Hallelujah. How can a Christian be a partner with one who doesn't believe? And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For you are God's temple, the home of the living God. You are God's temple. We need to hear that. You are the home of the living God if you claim to be a Christian. If you claim to have given your life to Christ, if you claim that your sins are forgiven and you're on your way to heaven, then you, my God, Yeah, and that's my next point. What harmony can there be? How can you be a partner, a Christian be a partner of one who doesn't believe? What union can there be? You are God's temple, the home of the living God, and God has said of you, I will live in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. That is why the Lord has said, leave them. Separate yourself from them. We don't do that. We get as close to them as we can. Come on. We've all done it. Hallelujah. 
I'm going to live in them, walk them in. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. This is why the Lord says, leave them. Separate yourself from them. Don't touch their filthy things. Touch not the unclean thing. And I will welcome you and be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters. Don't touch the unclean thing. Don't touch it. There's two things in this world, unclean and clean. And everything that's unclean is from the devil. Amen. And there are spirits behind them. There's a demon behind everything that's unclean that's not what God wants for us and not the way God said to do it. No, there's a demon behind that. Oh, it's pleasurable. Sin is pleasurable for a season. But there's a demon behind that as sure as you're sitting here. And I'll tell you what, after your pleasure is done and after you're through, I'm telling you what, that devil will, that, that serpent will come out and bite you and the poison that he will leave. God is so good to warn us. God is so good to talk to us. Hallelujah. I remember when I was working building starters and generators and alternators back in the, back in the what was it, the 70s? That's so far back, I can't hardly remember. 70s. 70s. Yeah. And there was a little, a little secretary up in the front office, and, oh, man, she was a real cupcake, I tell you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Whew, how many know the devil knows just what you like? <laughs> I'm glad this happened in the 70s. And she would come mincing out there to my workbench, just about laid down on it. And I said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What do I want? How many know the enemy will work on you? He'll wear you down. Day after day, week after week. She'd be there when I'm going home. I'd walk out of the park and get my gun. It's a funny thing. Her name was Gay. Wouldn't have been too gay if I'd have bit on that one. That was back when Gay was gay. Now Gay is gay, you know. So the enemy started come, causing some problems. In my relationship, and you know, they always try to set you up. And I thought, so, so I was wearing down. I mean, if you allow those things to continue, it'll wear you down. And pretty soon, after a few weeks of that, I don't know how long that went on two, three months, I said, you know, I think when she goes out to the car today, I think I'm going to ask her if she wants to go out to dinner. And so, before I could get to that glorious moment, <laughs> to the cupcake, the Lord is so faithful. She come out that day, did a little thing, went back to the office. And when she left, I looked at her, took a quick look as she was walking away. And instead of seeing her, I saw a snake. Ooh, it was a bad one. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, she will bite you like she has others. And she will slither away, and she will leave you poisoned. My, the youth ministry was happening at that time, too. God was blessing it. And, but there were some problems in the relationship, not with me. It was just something else early. And, man, after I saw that, shoot, I ain't going out to dinner with her. Huh? I said, hell no. <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to. No, we need to 
to tell hell no. No, hell. No. That didn't take very much strength on my part. <laughs> that took care of that. Whoo. Thank God for his mercy and grace. Well, we're focusing in. The Holy Spirit's focusing in on us being the temple of God. Amen? Staying pure in a wicked world. Uh, there was, I heard a God tell a man of God, I think it was yesterday, or maybe it was before, the reason that God is not able to work like he wants to in the church. You ever wonder why God's not doing some things? And he said, God said this, God said the church is too much like the world and I can't work in it. Hmm. I can't work in it. And so, if you give me just a few minutes, I'd like to take a closer look at this, the church, and see what God is recovering and rebuilding. That's great to hear it, Pastor. I'm great God is doing a restoration. That encourages me. But now we've got to get down to the nitty-gritty. What he's doing, what is he rebuilding and restoring in you and in me? He's restoring walls that have been torn down. He's restoring uh, barriers that have come down. He's restoring things that the enemy has worked on. How many know the enemy works on, on, on making us insensitive to things? Things we wouldn't have done maybe 10 years ago. Now it's not that big a deal. Everybody's doing it. I mean, come on. You know what I mean? He just works to wear down your defenses. And so uh, there's a, you've got a little worksheet there. If you'd pull it out, I, I won't take a, much more of your time, but just a little bit. If you'll take it out. Uh, we have some extra sheets if you need it. It's a classic message abridged entitled Staying Pure in a Wicked Society. How many know that's a challenge? By David Wilkerson. There's four, but we're only going to go through three of this, not four. Sister Trina, she's right in the spirit. She read a little part of it. She said, God's word tells us it's possible. Are you there with me? It's possible. Somebody say it's possible. Some would argue that to remain pure in the midst of an evil society. Thank God for the word of God that washes us. Huh? And the Lord gives his anointing only to those servants who remain pure before him. We see this illustrated in the life of Daniel. If you read about Daniel in the lion's den and Daniel in Babylon who lived in one of the most wicked immoral societies in all of history. I may know we are living in one of the most wicked and immoral societies in history in America. Are you hearing me? We have been conditioned somewhat to it and been, been kind of dumbed down and kind of, you know, kind of desensitized. But it doesn't change the fact that we are living in one of the most wicked and immoral societies in all of history ourselves. Babylon was a ruling power in Daniel's day, a city-state that represented everything ungodly in the world. The Babylonians were notorious for their sensuality and uncleanness, and they had taken Israel captive at that time, and while in captivity, Israel got caught up in that society's wickedness. I may know it's not hard to get caught up in a society's wickedness. doesn't mean bad people. It just means there's some bad things going on that are trying to corrupt good people. Amen. Some even liken America and somewhat to be modern-day Babylon. Babylon today is a world system. I believe it's a world financial system. It's a world uh, of moral system. We've exported so much smut and so much wickedness around the world, and we've killed so many babies, and we have done such despite the grace of God. 
that all we can do is cry out and pray for mercy and confess like Daniel did the sins of his people and ask God for revival and to do something to help people turn back to God. Amen. The Babylonians were notorious for their sunshine and cleanness. They take that while in captivity. Israel got caught up in the society's wickedness. Israelite men were seduced into bail houses of prostitution. Places of worship. They had prostitutes waiting for you. How would you like to come to church and have prostitutes, male and female, all outside? The world wouldn't mind that. I may know we get a lot more people in church. I may know the church would, would, would be full. Overflowing. I'm sorry. Sodomites attracted others into sexual sin. Even priests who once feared God were overwhelmed by sensuality, becoming attainted leadership over God's people. All around him, Daniel saw God's people falling into pits of filth and degradation, compromising, yet in the midst of such depravity, Daniel determined to draw closer to the Lord. How many know if you're going to draw closer, you've got to determine to draw closer? Because everything is against you. Everything is against you drawing closer to God. Everything is against you coming to church. Everything is against you opening your Bible. Everything is against you praying. Everything is against you praising. It's all against you. And we know that well. I don't know about you, but i got to fight for time with the Lord. My goodness. Yet in such depravity, he determined to draw closer to the Lord. I may know that's the only place of safety and protection. Amen. As the days passed and wickedness increased, this man grew even more godly and brokenhearted over Israel's sin. How did Daniel maintain a truly holy walk in such wicked times? I believe if we can discover Daniel's path to holiness, we'll find the key that will help us follow the same path today. A holy fear of God put Daniel's face to the ground. Daniel testified, Behold, and hand touched me, which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee, and stand upright, for unto thee am I now sent. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. And then he said unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you did set your heart to understand and to chasten thyself before God, he was fasting, thy words were heard. He began to pray, and I am come for thy words. God said, From the first day you started praying and humbled yourself, I heard it. And God says, if you read the story, God sent the answer, but it took 21 days to get there because there was a devil interfering with it. I may know that God's heard your prayers, but there's some real interference going on. If you turn the page over there, you see that young lady? Proverbs gives us this powerful verse on the matter. By mercy and truth. Somebody say mercy and truth. Iniquity is purged, and by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. Proverbs 66. Note the first part of this verse. Mercy and truth work together to purge our iniquity. I may know it takes both of them. Mercy and truth. Yet today the church places such heavy emphasis on mercy that we often discount the other vital element in the purging process, truth. We just say, well, God understands. That's how we cover it. What is this truth? It's the fact that God is wrathful towards sin. If his people are to rid themselves of habitual sin, then we have to walk in the truth about his attitude towards sin. Sin is what crucified Jesus on the cross. Ours and everybody else's. On the other hand, God's mercy works to keep us from falling into despair. 
reminding us that we have a loving Heavenly Father who's always ready to forgive our sins. Amen. And at the same time, the truth of God's holiness works to produce in us a godly fear, a godly respect. And overemphasis on either one of these elements, mercy or truth, leads to a warped walk with Jesus. Mercy without truth leads to licentiousness. What is licentiousness? It doesn't sound good, does it? Sounds like licorice, but I don't think that's what it is. Licentiousness is immoral in sexual relations. Promiscuous, indecent licentiousness. Mercy without truth will lead to that. Well, God understands. I'm saved. It's okay. God forgives. And we go on, but at least eventually to spiritual death. Likewise, truth without mercy leads to despair and ultimately to death. I saw something on this that I thought was interesting. I shared it with uh, First Lady, I believe, and it was on this subject of mercy and truth. And it said this quickly. It said, mercy and truth. It said, mercy without truth is a cheerleader without a team. And truth without mercy is surgery without anesthesia. I mean, no, we need both mercy and truth. We have an overemphasis of mercy in the American church. We have emphasized it to the point that everybody can do anything they want and come waltzing up into God's presence. And then we want to know why miracles are not happening. We want to know why God's not moving. We want to know why we don't see what we see in Africa and other places. One more thing about mercy. Somebody, he also said, he said, truth without mercy is mean. You ever had somebody have truth and they just flat out mean? They'll whip you with the truth. They'll lay that Bible on you. They'll tell you you're everything but a Christian. Mercy without truth is mean. But mercy, well, truth without mercy is mean, but mercy without truth is meaningless. In other words, your religion is in vain. Your believing is in vain. Because Jesus said, you know what Jesus said. He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. All those who love me keep my commandments, my sayings. If you don't keep my sayings, you don't love me. And if I find myself not keeping his sayings, I have to go back and say, God, forgive me. I'm not loving you very good. And we all come short. I said we all come short of the glory of God. But not all of us come back. Uh-huh. We just continue on as if nothing ever happened. Some of God's people are the proudest little sinners I've ever seen. <laughs> Woo! Happy Hallelujah! Happy Hallelujah! The fear of God isn't just an Old Testament concept. How many know the fear of the God? Fear of God will cause you to depart from evil. Where there is no fear of God, there is no departing. There is a mixture. And how many know we have more mixture in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? It's all mixed up. Some of us have never even heard a message like this. It's just God loves you, God understands, don't worry about it. They don't tell you you're on your way to hell, but uh, we don't want to tell you about it. Because we want you to keep giving your tithe. We can't have any waves in the church. We got to keep looking good for the next church down the block. You know what preachers say? That one of the first things they say when they get together is how many people you got. It's a show and tell. I tell you, I'd rather have 12 people that are living holy 
that are serving God than 1,200 that are living like the world. The preacher don't care nothing about their soul. Glory to God. While the Old Testament tells us to fear the Lord and depart from evil, fear the Lord and depart from evil, the New Testament also speaks of such fear. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. I mean, no, holiness is a dirty word today. Holiness, is that the people that wear buns and wear long dresses? And No, that's not holiness. I mean, no, you can have a holiness outward and be, Jesus talked to the Pharisees, to the he said, outwardly you're clean, you look good, but inwardly you're a bunch of tombs with dead man's bones. Inside, you don't look very good at all. Outside, you pretend you're okay, but inside is not good. The Bible makes clear that there is a fear of God every believer is to cultivate. That true fear includes an awe and respect, yet it goes much further. Godly fear gives us enabling power to maintain victory. Somebody shout victory in wicked times. Jeremiah prophesied regarding God's continual promise, I will give them one heart and one way and that, that they may fear me forever for the good of them and of their children. Somebody say, and of their children. This concerns your children too. Your fear of God concerns your family. My fear of God, the Bible says, and my belief in God, he says, because you believe and because your belief is not word only, your children are sanctified, set apart. For holy purposes. Does that mean they're saved? Not the way them hellions live. I used to wonder about that. I said, well, I know they, they, they ain't saved. They're crazier and crazy. God says, no, I didn't say they were saved. I just said I set them apart till they can get saved because of your believing faith. Isn't that great for God to do that? He said he'll do that with a wife or a husband. The the. The faith of the wife will, will sanctify the husband or vice versa. But I may know sometimes that doesn't work. At least, okay. People have a will. I done sanctified that sucker long enough. Amen. His sanctifies up. Over. You can forget it. Happy Hallelujah. I'm kind of messing this up. Forgive me. God forgive me. I'm going to give them one heart and I'm going to give them one way and they're going to fear me forever for the good of them and their children. Oh, glory to God. While you're here, God is blessing them there. Oh, while you're here and you're believing God and you're trusting God in your life, God has sanctified them there. And where they should have been dead or should have been taken out. Oh, I can't tell you the times that some of mine should have been gone. God spared them. There is a difference between those that have the mark of God on them. And believe God. Amen. I'm not blanking and saying that good things don't happen, bad things don't happen to good people because they do. But I'll tell you what, it's better with God than it is without him. <laughs> yeah, you'll do a lot better with it than you will without. Amen. And those kids will too until they can get, until God can get them to the place. Woo, hallelujah. Glory to God. They're coming. They're coming. They're coming. Ah, I gotta get uh, getting happy, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I won't uh, not turn away from them to do them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts that they shall not depart from me. I will not turn away from them to do them good. I'm going to do them good. And here is a wonderful covenant promise from God, assuring us that He'll provide us with His holy fear. This is a thing from God. 
Yet the Lord doesn't just drop this fear into our hearts by a supernatural manifestation. He plants it in us through what? I didn't hear you. His word. Yet it comes from more than just reading the scriptures. We obtain a godly fear when we consciously decide we will obey everything we read in his word. We read of one knowing prophet Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. And to what? To do it. To do it. Paul writes, neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. First Corinthians, this verse is important for all Christians who face temptation. And how many know we all face it? Paul is referring to the Israelites who fornicated with Moabite women. One Israelite who tempted God grievously this way was a man named Zimri. As the remnant of Israel wept and repented over the nation's sin, Zimri was seen, with, was seen a Midianite prostitute. In fact, he was so brazen about it, he par- paraded the woman through the camp in full view of everyone, including Moses, taking her to his tent to fornicate with her. How many know it's not in the closet anymore? My God, it's leaped out of that closet. Now they're parading it. I tell you, I fear for this nation. I fear for those. I pray for them. We need a revival. God loves them. I said God loves them. If it wasn't for the grace of God, I'd be out of that. I could be in that. Are you hearing me? So I don't have any judgment and conduct. God's the judge. I'm just praying, God, we need a revival. We sure need it with the gay community, especially with everybody. But the devil's killing his own awesome of them. Amen. The devil don't play fair. One Israelite who tempted God, oh, we always talked about him. Amen. We know he was doing the no-no there, yeah. And God acted quickly on the matter. They went in the tent. Hmm. Scripture tells us of an upright man named Phineas who followed the couple into the tent, (laughs) took a spear and speared them both to the ground, slew both Zimri and the Midianite woman. That's kind of tough, huh? You may wonder what Paul means exactly when he speaks of tempting Christ. Simply put, tempting the Lord means putting him to a test. We tempt him whenever we ask, how long can I indulge my lusts before God's anger is stirred? We live in an era of grace with no condemnation towards sinners. How could he judge me, his child? We always like to quote the verse, there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. And that is true. But we forget to read the rest of the verse. To those that walk in the Spirit and not after the flesh. There's no condemnation coming from Christ. He said, I didn't come to condemn you. I came to save you. So I don't have any condemnation for you. But the Bible says sin is already condemned in the flesh. It's already built into it. God doesn't have to do it. He's not cursing you. It's in that very thing, the very sin thing. God came to redeem, came to save. He came to save sinners. Amen. Paul said, the apostle of whom I am chief. Wow. How could he judge me as child? You know, there's no condemnation as long as you walk in the Spirit. But boy, there is condemnation if you don't. You can put it off. You can push it back. You can justify it. But I'll tell you what, it's there. Multitudes of Christians casually ask the same question today as they toy with a wicked temptation, but they're tempting Christ. All the while, they're casting God's convicting word out of their minds. Anytime we go against truth that God's Spirit has made clear to us, we cast off Paul's warning, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Neither let us commit fornication, 
as some of them committed and fell in one day, three and 20,000. I may know that's a 23,000 person orgy. Wow. And they fell in one day. Do you think God is saying something? Those are all examples to us in the New Testament under grace that sin will do a number on you, that death and sin go together. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Somebody shout eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Ask yourself, are you testing the limits of God's precious gift of grace? Are you tempting Christ to indulge your sin in the face of your outright rebellion? Have you convinced yourself, I'm a new covenant believer, I'm a Christian covered under Jesus' blood, therefore God won't judge me? Beware, by continuing in your sin, you're crucifying Christ afresh. As Hebrew warns against in Hebrews 6, 6, how? When you treat Jesus' great sacrifice with utter disregard, you willfully put him to an open shame, not just in the world's eyes, but before all of heaven and hell. See verse chapter 6, 6. Paul gives us this exhortation and warning. These things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. 1 Corinthians 10, 6. Next, Paul describes a way of avoiding temptation, an escape route that God has made available to all of his children. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above what you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. What is this means of escape? It is growing knowledge and experience in the holy fear of God. I may know the way of escape is made, but you've got to take it. The way is there. The difference is, will you take the way of escape or will you take the way of temptation? It is a choice we all have to make, is it not? I said it's a choice we all have to make. Amen. So, dear saint, look at somebody else you say he called you dear saint. Tell him he's not mad at you. And really, I don't think God's mad at us. He took his madness out on Jesus. Amen. God loves us. <laughs> I said God loves us. Don't, don't let the devil sit there and do a number on you. No, no, no. Wait a minute. Love is greater. Hallelujah. I'm, I'm here in the Holy Spirit. He's, he's working on me. I'm, he's not done yet. Amen. Anybody uh, arrived here yet? Has, has anybody arrived? Oh, okay. If you say you did, you're the biggest liar ever walked in any church. So, dear one, you, will you allow the Holy Spirit to deal with any lust you may be harboring? Will you instead seek and trust the escape that God has provided for you? I urge you, cultivate a holy fear of the Lord in these last days. It will keep you broken in spirit no matter how loudly and wickedness rages around you. And it will enable you to walk in God's holiness, which holds the promise of His enduring presence. It is all a matter of faith. Christ has promised to keep you from falling, to give you a sin-resisting power. If you'll believe what He has said, believe Him for this godly fear. Pray for it and welcome it knowing God will keep his word to you. You can't break free from the death grip beset of besetting sin by willpower. Willpower won't do it. By promises or by any human effort. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many have tried that and that didn't work too good? Not by might. Uh-oh, there it is. Nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Can I ask you a question in closing? What road are you on? Jesus said there's two roads. Closing scripture. Turn to, uh, turn to Matthew 7th chapter and I'll let you go. Turned you every way but loose today, huh? 
I may know God's got a hold on us. God's got a hold on me. Woo. And he won't let me go. <laughs> Hallelujah. He won't let me go. Glory to God. Thank God. Matthew 7, chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. Jesus talks about two roads. One leads to eternal life and one to leads to destruction. Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go therein. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. Verse 14. And few there be that find it. Living Bible brings it home even clearer. Living Bible says heaven can be entered only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad. And its gate is wide enough for all the multitudes who choose its easy way. Wow. It makes it easy. The devil makes it easy. But the gateway to life is small. And the road is narrow. And only a few ever find it. That is challenging. Let me ask you again, what road are you on? I didn't ask you what road you think you're on. I asked, what road are you really on? I heard of a guy, a man came to a sign in the road that said, detour, road closed. Well, to him it looked, as far as he could see it, it looked pretty good. Amen? And so he went around the warning sign and went about four miles and he came to a bridge that was, that was out. You could hear him say, oh, crud. <laughs> As he turned around and went back the four miles where, where he came from. And then he saw a sign on the other side that said, welcome back, stupid. I've seen that sign a couple of times. Stupid just means unintelligent. Not too smart. Not too Bible smart. Not too God smart. Don't know what the word says. The Bible says because of ignorance, lack of knowledge, my people perish. A lot of them don't even know there's a broad way and a narrow way. They've never heard it. They didn't know that few find the narrow way. It is narrow, isn't it? People that say, well, I can be saved, do whatever I want. I can do it. God loves me. God forgives me. Well, be careful with that. You presume on the grace of God. And I'll tell you what, over the years I've watched people that have played with the grace of God, that have frustrated the grace of God, that thought they could get back. And did get back many times. But there came the one time. God, I feel that in my, whoo, gives me the chills because I know examples. People that I believe love the Lord. I don't know where they're at, but I'll tell you what, they took a great chance. One young man couldn't kick the habit, the coke habit or whatever it was. Found him in his mother's closet. Dead. A good guy. A guy that I loved. guy that had potential. 20-something years old. Gone. He didn't know when he went in that closet to hit that thing again. That that was his last. Had a little three-year-old, I think, four-year-old daughter. That's just one example. I could give more. I don't need to do it. I'm just telling you. You don't want to push it. You never know when you can't get back. I remember in my young days, real quick, probably shouldn't tell you this, but I was young and stupid. I was in an institution, and they, they, somebody brought in some laundry cleaning fluid from the laundry, from the cleaners. 
and I sniffed some of that. Well, it just about took me to hell. I went into a place where there was like two squirrel cages, and there were people were there for thousands and thousands of years, and you could only get in after one of them came out, and they wasn't coming out. And then I realized and remember how people can sit in front of a mirror humming, looking in the mirror, nobody's home. Boy, when I came out of that, no, I did not sniff any more laundry fluid at all. I sniffed nothing after that. See, you don't know. I could have not come out of that. I wouldn't be here doing this anytime. I'd be in front of a mirror in some, some institution saying, yeah, he's over there in the corner. He, 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 nobody's home. Nobody's home. He's gone. He went somewhere. I believe that was a little illustration of hell. That's what that was. It scared me to death. Scared me enough to stop doing that. Because I want I told God when I was in that, I said, God, I don't want to die. He said, you're going to die tonight. I said, I don't want to die. He said, then live. God, short on words. What he was saying, quit acting a fool. Quit doing what death does. Quit, quit going with dead people. What fellowship hath light with darkness? Why seek ye the living among the dead? Is that what Jesus said? The angel said when they, Jesus rose, why are you seeking the living among the dead? They're dead. They're dead. They are D-E-A-D. And you're a Christian. You're alive. Reach them with Christ. But be careful. Hallelujah. Come on, stand with me. You've been sitting a long time. I may know it's easy to be on the right road and make a U-turn. Come on. It's what I call schizophrenic Christian drivers. They go real good for a while and then there they go. Come back. Bye. I'll see you. When I get back. Bye. Say, where'd you go? None of your business. I may know that's foolish. Unintelligent. Slow-witted. That's stupid. And we're not stupid. Amen. So I just feel the Holy Spirit think before you go down that road. You may be able to get back. You probably will. But you never know. Getting off and on can be dangerous. Hallelujah. If I was you and me, I'd stay on the road. The road of holiness. The Bible says there's a highway of holiness and many there are that are getting on it. Hallelujah. But the Lord says the others will not get on that road. Amen. This is not the time to indulge the flesh and its lusts. We're to redeem the time because the days are evil. Amen. Buy it back. So I just exhort you, loved one, don't be foolish. If you see a warning sign, that road is closed to you, Christian. Don't go around it. Don't keep going. Take heed to the, to the warning lights. My grandson, we were in the car yesterday quickly, and there was a yellow light. We hit a yellow light. He said, hurry, speed it up, speed it up. I said, yellow means caution. He says, red means go through it if the cops are not watching. I said, you ain't never going to drive my car. I'm telling you that right now. You can forget it. I won't even give you a tricycle. you, You are crazy already. Hallelujah. Come on, let's give God some glory, will you? He'll cause you to win. 
He'll cause you to walk in wisdom. He'll cause you to go down the right path. He'll help you do what's right. Holy Spirit will help us in a wicked society in a time of such great temptation. Everywhere we look, it's all around us. The bars have been lowered so far. The standards have come down. Everybody, it seems like everybody, is just doing whatever feels good, whatever they think is right. They say, as long as I don't hurt anybody else. Well, you're hurting yourself, and you're hurting God, who loves you. Lord, I praise you, and I thank you for the wisdom you're giving us. I thank you for the fear of the Lord, the respect and awe of God that you are planting in our hearts more and more in this evil day. I thank you for the coming of the Lord. I thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for the restoration and the, and the rebuilding of our lives in these temples. Mine is still going on from all that was torn down almost 40 years ago. More than that. And so, Father, I just want to thank you. And I speak and I shout to the headstones. I shout to those things that the enemy would think that there's just no one that I shout grace to it. No matter how much water is under that bridge, no matter where you've been, what you've done, what's gone on, God says shout grace, double grace to it. And shout, oh, how beautiful it is. How beautiful it is, Lord, what you're doing in these temples of the Holy Spirit. How beautiful the work you're doing. Yes, there's not there's some not so beautiful things that we deal with and have to go through and go through. Sometimes we don't have to. But God, we speak what you said to speak. And that was shout how beautiful it is. How beautiful it is in that sister's life. How beautiful it is in that brother. How beautiful it is in that wife. That has how beautiful it is in that daughter, that son. And then you said to shout. God bless it. Why don't we do that, Ron? Just say, God bless it. God bless it. Bless that life. And look at the one next to you and go and just say, How beautiful it is. How beautiful it is. How beautiful it is. How beautiful it is. How beautiful it is and how beautiful you are. How beautiful it is. Oh, God, I feel that. In the midst of things that are not so beautiful. And we deal with some really ugly situations in our world. But God says, in the midst of that, how beautiful it is what I'm doing in your life, in your situation. Whatever the walls have been torn down, whatever water's under the bridge, what I'm doing now is beautiful. And God is saying, just shout, God bless it. I shout, God bless it. God bless you, whatever time you have left, whatever time I have left. God is doing a beautiful work. And he will fulfill it and he will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. You may have some ups and downs. I love you. God loves you. You will make it. God will help you. You will get through. I'm believing God for you. I'm trusting God. Amen. God bless you. Love one another and go with God and victory in the name of Jesus. I love you. God loves you. Amen. Give God a praise. Hallelujah.